What's up, meeples? On this show, we welcome our another guest to the studio. We welcome Aaron from our local friendly gaming store, where we talk about his history of gaming and an in-depth discussion about Magic the Gathering and why he loves it so much. Along with all your usual weekly news, Kickstarter campaigns, and event information, this is the podcast with Crowder Gaming Community. What's up guys, my name is Jason. And my name's Ian. We are two game club organisers shooting the breeze about tabletop gaming. So pop the kettle on, grab a brew and let's get on with today's episode. On today's episode we are delighted to welcome to the show Aaron. How are you doing Aaron? Hi guys, you alright? We are great, how are you doing? I'm good, nice to be here talking to you guys about things we love most. Definitely. Good and to the, hear. <laughs> yeah, we love board games, we love card games, we love all things gaming. So we're going to get to know you a bit better today. How do you feel about that? Awkward. <laughs> Hooray! <laughs> Our work here is done. So for those of you that do not know Aaron, Aaron is one of the newest members of the team at our local gaming and hobby store, the Comic Shop in Crawley. But he has been a member of the gaming community for many, many years, playing a variety of games. So the real question is, when did you start gaming and how did you start gaming? So I'm gaming for most of my life. I think it all started off when I was younger, when we were visiting my granddad in his nursing home and my nan gave me a copy of pokemon gold um and it kind of all started from there really so took it away played that started from that and then sort of be like a birthday or christmas thing and then it kind of evolved from that into Yu-Gi-Oh! all the way through school and then learned about magic later on board games video games on the side kind of just developed from there really nice nice uh pokemon again it's another pokemon this makes uh, me very happy. <laughs> <laughs> I think really we're, the people of our sort of age all started with Pokemon in some way, shape or form, whether it be the trading card or or the uh, the Game Boy games, the legendary Game Boy games at like that. I think in terms of Game Boy games, the first ever first ever game I ever played, not necessarily hooked onto, but it was the original Tetris for Game Boy. And I think that's kind of where... Uh, the source of it was, and obviously when my nan then got me the Pokemon game, and it's like, yeah, it went from there. The real question is, are you still a fan of Pokemon? <laughs> <laughs> no pressure. I like Pokemon. I don't know about the last couple of generations. They've been a bit iffy to me. Like, Pokemon Gold was my favourite, I suppose, because the nostalgia value's there, but then I also really liked Diamond and Pearl, and that was a thing. And then, I don't know, I think after, like, Sun and Moon, it kind of went a bit downhill, so yeah, that's fine. <laughs> I mean, if it makes you feel any better, for me, Pokemon doesn't go past the original 151. And this is where we can't have nice things. <laughs> I lost interest at Pokemon after they started introducing the, the second wave. And obviously, knowing Ian, he keeps me up to date frequently as to what's new. <laughs> you know, I mean, surely a company should figure out they've gone too far when their idea for a new Pokemon is a cog. Or an ice cream. Or an old set of keys. Or a bag of rubbish. And these aren't even the latest ones. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah. Game's gone a bit far for me now, but... Uh... See, I've been quite lucky because it's been the card game that's sort of got me a circle of friends early on. It's got me into gaming, got me into my competitive scene, and that was what really kept me sort of with my love for Pokemon, even when it's been stretched at times, and it has, you know, with any sort of game or any love... There are times you fall in love with it and times you fall out with it. and um, But it's been the people in the communities that sort of kept me going with that. Yes, and uh, community is a, is a big thing. You know, you're on the uh, Crawley Gaming Community podcast as well. So <laughs> we're all about the community here and you have welcomed us very much so into the comic shop recently. And uh, things seem to be on the up. How, how, how is the business? Business has been doing well. It's been improving a lot over the last few months. Obviously, it's been a bit hard with COVID going on, but um, we won't say otherwise. But I think it's just the community has been sort of been pulling through and keeping the whole thing together, which has been nice. Um, things in the works, a few little bits coming down. Got a fresh new shipment of board games, hopefully coming in the next couple of weeks. Ooh, we like the sound of that. <laughs> yep, there's that. Um, hopefully, be getting a few more bits and pieces in, like we'll get Keyforge in as well. Hopefully, looking into Digimon, obviously coming out of the yeah. new year. And then, of course, stemming away from board games, but still on tabletop, we've got some 
oldies but goodies coming back in the form of different uh, RPG books. So I've got um, uh, Vampire Masquerade coming in hopefully soon as well, and nice. a couple others. Very nice. And I know that the store has quite a nice uh, roleplay following, so uh, do you reckon you're, you're going to start seeing a, a big return of that? I think it's I think it's a case of after COVID kind of settled, I suppose is the right word, that a lot more people will start coming in. People are slowly returning to it. Problem is with something like D&D or any other RPG-based game that it's the social aspect and yes you can run games online but it's not the same you can run anything in world 20 you can run anything in fantasy grounds but it's not the same as actually sitting around the table rolling dice i can vouch for that we've discussed that on podcast before i'm part of a D group but the atmosphere is lost when you're online it's still fun still enjoyable but it's not as it's not, it's the, not same. the same as being around a table with a group of people We've always said it, especially when it comes to board games, or even war games for that matter as well, there's just something magical about feeling a physical piece or rolling a set of die and, and hearing it clatter across across the table and knocking over your miniatures in, in the process. So we talked a little bit about um, card games earlier. Obviously Magic the Gathering is a big one for you. How did you get about into Magic? So Magic was something I started playing when me and my friend Sarah went down to Brighton. And went to Dave's Comics, and I can't remember what sparked off. We bought a, we bought a deck kit, and it was the Slivers deck kit. Remember this? So we had day in Brighton, came home, and Sarah told me how to play. Um, that was terrible because neither of us really know what we were doing. We couldn't figure out how the game works. <laughs> um, but it was it was it was a fun time. It was a, it was a laugh kind of thing. And then I kind of kept that sort of love of card games as I went through school and played Yu-Gi-Oh. And then after school was over, went back into magic and I found it again through the Tillgate Club and sort of relearned how to play properly um, with the guys there. Yep. Yeah, and I can remember my first ever deck when I went down there. It was terrible. I remember <laughs> the deck list and I'm haunted every time I go on my cart history because I can see, uh, see the cards I bought special thinking, yes, this is going to be it. I'm going to show everyone I'm really good at card games. <laughs> I had no idea what I was doing. The, the real question is, did they, did they break it to you nicely or did they completely destroy you first? Uh, it was a little bit of both. It was a little, <laughs> it was a little bit of a, oh, I can really see the synergy here. You've really sort of picked this apart. However... Boom, gone in the first round. <laughs> I think it was Phil DV I played in one of the first games there, and he was like, oh yeah, it's really good. But actually, no. <laughs> good on you for, for at least, you know, breaking it in gently and lying to start with. Yeah. <laughs> so obviously you started playing Magic down there. Was that was that like a weekly club that you attended? And Yeah, it was on every Wednesday. So at the time it was run by uh, Mark Lane, Steve Baines, that lot. And it was primarily magic at the back of the room, and then you had some board gamers at the back, and a few of them playing things like X-Wing and some other war games at the back. Indeed, yeah. Um, that is obviously where I run my club from. Uh, we're obviously based on the Monday. Unfortunately, the Wednesday night club did close. Um, we were obviously operating out of the same hall, just on a different night, and you know we welcomed them in, into our club. I took on the Wednesday club for a little bit, but the numbers just didn't pick back up unfortunately so uh yeah it, it has sort of fizzled out a little bit but the community is still there i think it was a case of people's lives changed people moved on people had different things going on but uh from the ashes we we had the comic shop turn up on our doorstep so the community is has come back stronger i think because we've now got a central hub where all walks of life can uh, can go i think that was the kind of thing from the original target club actually thinking about it was as soon as people knew about the club, they would come down to it. But it was just getting the word out. This is a this is a centre for nerdy activity. It's just sort of uniting everyone under one banner kind of thing. Yeah, it's also become like an area of acceptance as well. You can be who you want to be in there and no one will care. You know, we are ourselves and you don't have to hide anything. Yeah, exactly. And I think there's something about it being a shop as opposed to a community centre. Being like, that kind of makes it the norm. Like... This is a shop. This is normal. You can come in here, do your thing. No one yep. cares. Whereas Green Center, it's almost like it's almost out of the way. So it's almost like you have to play secret squirrels, almost try and go. Yeah. Does that make sense? Yeah, I think it's it's one of those things, like you said, because it's a shop. It feels normal to go in there and do it. And and if it's something you're not used to doing or you're brand new into taking on, you know, playing board games or or 
you know, or war games or card games, role play games, that kind of stuff. It's probably the best first step you can take by having a shop that you can play in because, like you said, it feels normal. Also, it comes across with things like labels. You label something with the word club. It sounds like people are going there already for a specific thing. And so everyone assumes everyone in there is experts, you know, and that no one's going to have the time or the patience or anything to teach someone new. And, you know, you've got to get past that nervous barrier of, okay, I don't know what I'm going into. Whereas if you're in a shop and you can see people doing stuff, you can sort of stand from afar and slowly come to see what they're doing and um, then get involved that way. You know, I've even had discussions in the comic book shop when just talking to people about either like Pokemon or the Digimon card games recently and you just suddenly get these faces appear next to you where people have overheard your conversation, gone, that sounds really interesting and sort of really want to find out more. And you just suddenly get like this big group discussion going without even realising it. You know, you just folded the people into your conversation. The shop's been working on something for a while now, but we've only sort of been gunning for it lately, and that we want to become a premium store in terms of Wizard of the Coast. So I'm not sure what I can and can't mention at the moment, but one of the comments they made of, which kind of stuck with me, was you go blind to your own community after running in a shop for a while, and that you need to try and make your shop as accepting to people as possible without ever trying to exclude anyone, because you could get to the point where you could have people walk past your shop five or six times and then not even have the courage to walk in because they're afraid of jumping into that little community. So what I think is quite nice, because obviously you've got the cafe, and then, like you say, people can go down and have a cup of tea or something. Then, like you said, they overhear a conversation, heads start turning. That's that's their kind of nice little safety net, their nice little introduction into it. And it's just trying to break down those barriers of what is normal and what's accepting. It's, you know, people have their weird, nerdy hobbies, and that's fine, you know. It's been fun with the shop to see, you know, see, see things adapt as well. Like me and Jason have said it several times that we often go down there for the social thing first and the gaming second, you know, even for the group we run. And a good example was the other week when the numbers were a little bit low. We were all just having a social chat and then we remembered the PlayStation 5 reveal was on. So we all just huddled around and watched that and like gaming went out the window briefly. <laughs> but it was just fun, you know, because all of us were sort of on the same wavelength. So even if you're not interested, you could still enjoy what was going on. And it just became like this cool little community thing again, you know, just for a laugh. But none of us, none of us even expected that that night. You know, none no. of us had really thought about it. It was just like, what do we want to do? This is on. That sounds like fun. Off we go. <laughs> And I really like um, how the comic shop has embodied the community spirit in Crawley as well. Obviously, working alongside yourself to allow us to run our board game events there. You've got the magic groups, which operate out of the store. Your roleplay groups as well. is uh, Literally everyone is welcome in there, and it just it is perfect. It's the perfect addition to the community. Again, uh, is that also good sidelines on to um, you know events with the comic book shop? Magic's obviously the big focal point at the moment. Um, how has it been setting that all up and getting that running? Um, you know, with all the different formats that Magic has available. You know, explain to us what it's been like both trying to run these events and what the events actually are and the different formats you have to do for Magic. So stressful. <laughs> um, <laughs> stressful, definitely stressful. Um, so in terms of magic events, um, formats, sets, that kind of thing, main events that happen in the shop are sealed and limited events. So whenever a set is released, we'll generally do a pre-release party. So we'll get some packs in, sealed product, we'll sit everyone down, give everyone a pack, and they have to make a deck out of that pack. And then they play a few people off in rounds, and then there's a winner to play at the end, and we dish out some prizes, that's all fun. Um, we'll also do things like drafts as well. Same kind of concept where everyone takes a pack, um, pick a card they like, pass it around. Um, and these aren't too dissimilar from other card games. Everyone, every other card game I'm aware of has something similar or a very close variant of them. And then what hasn't been so successful are things like constructed nights where people will pick up their own deck, bring it into the shop and play. General kind of cons- general kind of consensus at the moment is. People prefer the sealed events as opposed to constructed. Adding that competitive aspect, which usually comes to constructed debts, puts people off. Mm-hmm. And when someone wants to play magic, generally it's for fun, which I think is why people like the sealed aspect of it. Because yeah. everyone on an even, pl- even playing ground. There's no worry about 
um, who has the most money to buy the most expensive cards, that kind of thing. It's literally based on skill, what you're opening, having fun at the same time. Yes. I, I think that's definitely something that put me off of trading card games. Um, I mean, the last trading card game I played was Star Wars Destiny, and I was heavily into that. You know, I had two copies of every card, which was generally the maximum you would have in those decks. So I, I could play the, you know, quote-unquote net decks, but I never found that fun, you know. But unfortunately, the the problem I had was I was one of those people that was put off of playing because people would turn up and they'd have nothing but like world championship winning decks. It's like, well, I'm I'm here to have fun. And if you're going to obliterate me in a matter of turns, or, or even if I am doing the same as you, I don't find it fun if I completely destroy you that quickly. See, we've had this with the um, Pokemon group that we have. And a lot of the older players, like me and that, actually come with like three different decks. For We'll have a tournament deck, so us tournament players can practice against each other, get ready for the next incoming event. We'll have like a mid-range deck for all the different age groups starting to get into the game, or anyone new, you know, so that they can have something reasonable to play against, but not just going to get wiped the floor with. And then we'll have entry-level stuff or theme decks and things that we can just teach people the basics with, you know, and everyone's on a level playing field. But we have to be the ones that are prepared to do that. You know, we have players come in that just have tournament decks, but they limit who they can play. You know, because as you said, if you've got someone who's just started with like a basic off-the-shelf deck and a few boosters, they are not going to beat someone with a like 400-pound tournament deck, you know, full of stupidly expensive cards. And there's no fun for either player, as you said. I've had to do that in smaller tournaments and things when points are on the line. We we rock up with the tournament decks at those points, and those poor um, people that have just rocked up with whatever they've got, as long as they're still enjoying themselves, it's fine. But I do feel for them, you know, when everyone suddenly cracks out all of these big expensive um, decks and literally just steamrolls people. I think this is where trading cards and board games have this bit of a divide, because at the end of the day, they're both games. Mm. Whatever you want to say, they're both games. They're there to have fun. Cards, boosters, they're just individual card pieces, they're individual game pieces. And there is nothing wrong with competitive play, but there's a time and a place for it. Like, I'm going to go to a tournament, yes, I'm going to be as competitive as I can, I'm going to win. That is my goal. Yeah, exactly. If I'm going to rock up to a little event at a shop, you know, yeah, it's nice to win, don't get me wrong, but equally, the goal is to have fun. Yeah. Now, I'm I'm going to bring this game out to have fun. One of the very interesting things about magic i think sometimes gets forgotten about and if you're playing for fun it's like you can have a you can have a tier one competitive deck that doesn't mean you're going to win and that's either because your opponent can still outsmart you they can still play something different and also it's about the way you play as well it's not always about i have this very expensive card my very expensive deck of very expensive cards it's also about the way you play and that can make or break a game for someone in terms of you know, are you having fun? Are they having fun? Are we having fun together kind of thing? I've seen that a lot for all walks of games, board games as well. If you want to be included and you want to learn learn from each other, you know, and everyone's got something to give. Every day's a school day. I'm forever learning stuff from other people playing all sorts of games. That's when I feel like I'm having fun. When you get someone either controlling or genuinely thinking they're better than everyone else or think they know how to play something to the perfect way they may not and that's that's when you can throw you know curveballs in and change things which i find fascinating to watch i love seeing videos on that sort of stuff and seeing people learning and adapting how to play something properly you can give the best player a bad deck and they can win of, of any card game or you can give one of the worst players the top deck and they won't win a single game Yep. Um, how how do you feel about rotations? Is it something that you like in a, in a trading card game, or is it something you wish didn't exist? So rotations are an interesting one. So rotations, for me, they help develop a healthy meta game, or they should help develop a healthy meta <laughs> game. Um, so for Magic, it's the last year and a bit's worth of cards which form the standard rotation so if you want to play the standard format in magic it's the last unit bits of cards do i like them yes bit of an odd question like they keep the game going keep the game moving fresh what i like about rotations is the introduction of new sets Mm -hmm. which means that generally each new set brings something new and exciting either a new theme or a new 
uh, a new story block, something different to the game. So we had, for example, Throne of Eldraine, which came out last November, I believe it was, top of my head. Um, that was based around Grimm's Fairy Tales and Ephorian Legend, which is something that's never been done before in Magic. Um, and that was great. You know, it was something completely different, something, something unusual. And then a few months later, you had Pharos Beyond Death, which was Greek myth. And then moving on from that, you've had Ikoria, uh, which was all like big bad monsters and Godzilla and Mothra coming down. <laughs> to, and then you've come back round full circle to Zendikar, which is about uh, lands, matter, and the world of Zendikar changing and having every card you play have some important value of the game, whether it be you play a land, it's just a land actually that land sometimes isn't land sometimes it's actually a spell you can use later on in the game for something else it's all about sort of that flexibility and diversity which kind of keeps things moving which isn't great um so rotation yeah it's not dark sets i love sets mm. so do you uh, are you um heavily invested in a theme or, or is it just the world of of magic the gathering that that you like oh you see now there's a lot to take in from that question yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we like to throw a curveball every now and again so with magic, it'll be wrong to say I'm not heavily invested in magic. Um, you know, I've been spent over eleven years playing the game. I became a judge for the game so I could help run events. Um, in terms of law, each plane, which generally is set, is based on a plane, um, or world, or a little mini universe inside the multiverse. Um, they have their own story arcs and fe- and themes and thematics, and they sort of lean into an overarching story. It kind of stretches across them, so. Uh, with Zendikar came out, for example, you're seeing the aftermath of when the Eldrazi have left, everyone disappeared to go help fight their own wars and battles somewhere. And what's left is a world that's a bit broken, a bit damaged, and then you have Nahiri, who's one of the main planeswalkers, come back to the world and is attempting to rebuild it in her own slightly twisted, selfish image. So yeah, I mean, that's just one plane. You go back to... Uh, what well, was the last set we had in Coria? You had uh, Pharos. I mean, in Pharos, that continues no rocking story from um, the previous Pharos block, where you had Elspeth uh, go on a quest from Heliod to take down Xenagos, who became a god in his own right. And this is Elspeth climbing her way back up from the underworld, seeking her revenge in her own way, and yet at the same time trying to maintain some sort of semblance of her former self with everything else going on so you have all these little mini stories going on and yet they still form an overarching plot which i think is great and i think so few games have that in fact i can't think of many games that can do that no i can't think of any card games at the moment that have done anything like that and again i've i'm no expert with magic but i love seeing the little like because they have certain arts and stuff that help build those stories as well as all the books and the other stuff that goes alongside it you know literally like, like what you just said one of the cards is Elspeth conquers death you know to help with that part of that story arc you know and I love seeing little snippets of things like that and then going back to learn why they're in the sets you know and piecing together the story from that as well as knowing that if you really want to dive into it there's books and a whole other range of media to follow um well they can they do a regular story updates on the website on the uh daily wizards blog you can go and view story snippets from these sets that come out the books in my opinion aren't that great but <laughs> they're there to, they're there as like it's pulp fiction right yeah. it's it's there to keep you going <laughs> it's marketing um, at the end of the day yeah yeah it's all that but you know what it works and we're a sucker for it <laughs> gotta love the machine oh Just yeah. constantly churning out content for us good old hasbro <laughs> <laughs> oh yes gotta love hasbro so of all the different sets that you've played over your 11 years of playing Magic the Gathering, if you had to pick one set, what would it be? Onslaught. That was pretty quick. Onslaught. It's that simple. It was one of my most favourite sets. It was before I even started playing that set came out. But Onslaught has some of the most fun mechanics at all the Magic sets I can think of. Taking away theming, stories, getting down to core gameplay... Onslaught is the most fun, I feel. Mm. Um, and the cards in that set still scale over, even across the power creep of today's cards, in terms of playability and usability. Things like staple, sa- staple cards like 
uh, insurrection in magic, mm. um, which is you gain control of all of your opponent's creatures for a turn, and then you can do what you like with them. Yeah. Usually end the game in one fell swing. <laughs> or um, you've got some staple cards in there for things like, uh, for sliver decks, you have things like mana raccoons come back out. Uh, we have obliterates, you have... Um, I've mostly got red cards, actually, now I'm thinking about it. <laughs> <laughs> it's just saying about my playstyle. Um, yeah, easily one of the best sets. So one thing I've seen like with a lot of the big three card games is um, they all have a very different playstyle. Like Magic, Yu-Gi-Oh, Pokemon are the main ones that are considered the big three. They all have their pros, they all have their cons, but it's nice to see them all doing well and to give the variation of options. And it's actually nice to see people flitter in and out between them. Like you said, you've come from Yu-Gi-Oh to Magic. I've gone solely through Pokemon for the whole lot, but I have dabbled. I actually probably know more about Magic than Pokemon at the moment because I tend to watch a lot of Magic content online. And, uh, you know, with the way the cards change, the formats change, um, I find different things interesting. And um, I actually, I'm not overly impressed with the Pokemon format at the moment. I've made that fairly vocal through our last, you know, um several episodes of stuff but i know that spark will come back for me at some point as and when the card mechanics change yet again but i love seeing how all of these card games find new ways to do very similar things like both pokemon and magic like their um, energy or mana mechanics you know pokemon attaches them to a specific creature whereas magic has it available for absolutely all the way across the board so what do you sort of think about those sort of mechanic ideas and what do you think of like the big three card games? So I've played all three games to varying degrees. Um, I think it always comes down to the play style or anything else. Like the way you have these base mechanics set up leads into the general play style you can expect from your gameplay. So when I started with Yu-Gi-Oh, um, Yu-Gi-Oh was geared up towards a very combo-centric play style. So you would chain your cards into one another, which would eventually lead to your win condition. Pokemon, when I started playing Pokemon for a bit, and forgive me if this has changed, but it's been a while since I've been played. Pokemon was very much, I'm going to play with myself, I'm going to do my thing, and then I'm going to interact with my opponent as little as possible, and achieve my win conditions through what I've accomplished on my turn. The Magic's playstyle lends the hand to, I'm going to play on my turn and then disrupt my opponent when they're not going to my strategy and they all have those slight tweaks and variants but i think that's what makes them interesting unique from one another yeah so they all have something to offer in those particular ways yeah i i fully agree and support that i mean um i managed to get one of my friends from magic to pokemon and he said the biggest shock to his system was pokemon lets you draw a metric ton of cards like every turn and me going the opposite way of getting into magic was finding how difficult it is to draw a single card you know and how much you have to pay to be able to do that other than your one card a turn sort of thing whereas pokemon's like here's a card that says bin your hand and draw seven you know and you can go miles through your cards but i agree with what you said like pokemon you have your one strategy in your deck and you have to rush that out as quickly as possible to be able to counter someone else doing the same thing at you but there isn't that much interaction. You can't stop your opponent easily doing much. Whereas, you know, what I've seen from Magic and Yu-Gi-Oh, there's a lot more involvement of, you're going to do this, so I need to plan a way to stop that, to slow us both down to an even kill. Yeah, and there's that element of strategy in both both those parts of games. Like I said, Pokemon, you have to rush out your agenda, your strategy, and get that out as quickly as you can to uh, outpace your opponent. And whereas with Magic and Yu-Gi-Oh, there is that, element of flex where you can tweak your strategy as you need to on the fly a little bit and some decks actually lend themselves to the whole point of i'm going to stop everything you do until i can do my one or two cards and until i find those one or two cards in my deck which say i win the game so we've talked a lot about the card games and we've talked a lot about formats um you know we briefly touched on magic standard earlier and i've said in previous episodes pokemon does the same sort of thing with rotated formats what's your favorite magic format so my favorite magic format is commander or elder dragon highlander if you want to go old school about <laughs> it um it's easily the most fun format to play so it's a hundred card singleton meaning no two cards are the same except for basic lands and you build your deck around a legendary creature who leads your deck into battle as it were and you are tied to those colors of that card 
uh, you've chosen to be your commander and you build your deck around that and then fulfill the strategy that way but what's great about it is the amount of creativity and versatility you can get out of those decks and generally because again it's 100 cards every time you play the deck it's going to play slightly differently which keeps it fresh for a lot longer than my standard or modern decks I must admit, it's the only Magic format I've managed to actually worm my way into. I don't get the opportunity to play it enough, but it's such good fun. But it's also a fairly accessible format. Again, like like most card games, if you want to go into the higher end of it, it can get expensive. But it's so easy to make a fairly cheap and fun commander deck. And that's how I sort of got my way back into it. That's a good point. It's, It's really accessible right now. And... Because all you need is one legendary creature, doesn't have to be expensive, um, and then 99 other cards to make it up. What's good as well is that Wizard of the Coast is actually supporting the format more now by introducing commander decks that come out on every new set release. And because they've lowered the price point as well, it's now really accessible for a new player to get into it. So all the new decks only cost £20, and that gives you a very, very good deck to come in on an entry level with. Yeah. Um, they have a mixture of old cards and new, but you're not going to get left out coming into a table of pre-established players, which is really good. It's one thing I've noticed, actually, at least I can vouch for both Magic and Pokemon doing this at the moment. Both games seem to have realised that's a good price point and to do off-the-shelf decks that may not be perfect as they are, but give you a reasonable play level that aren't just... I'm going to lose every game sort of rubbish that we used to get for half the price point. Um, and it's been nice to see. Um, I've even seen, like, again, I know Pokemon better, but I've seen Pokemon offering tournament cards in some of these decks. So you buy two of them off the shelf and you've got your four copies you need for a standard deck. And again, it's nice to see the commander ones coming in that someone can buy this, get a reasonable commander deck, and then start going, right, I like this strategy. How? What can I now go and buy to bolster that? Yeah, absolutely. They've been doing commander decks for quite a while now, but they've sort of been failing the last couple of years. So this sort of like refresh with every set now, they're doing a new commander deck, gives people that re-sort of invigoration to go, I can play commander, I can play something completely different to what I have, or I can be a new player and join into the game. It's easy, it's accessible. And if they like it, great. And then follows into what you're saying, like you can then go and pick apart cards that you like, Try and find cards that help with that strategy or take them apart and use them for some of the decks that you want to use instead. And my other favourite thing about Commander is being singleton means you only have to afford one copy of an expensive card at <laughs> yep. a time if you do go down that road. Yeah, it's, it's always nice to see um, the companies are, are taking it upon themselves now to ensure that it is easy for new players to, to get in. It's far too easy for a company to lose sight of that. You know, and Magic, I, I think, was one of those companies for many years um, where it was very difficult for a new player to get in. It's why I never really got into it. It definitely was. Um, for a good five or six years, uh, whenever you had the core set come out, which is their summer release set, and it's designed for new players and it's designed to have cards that are going to set up stand for the rest of the year. Whenever you picked up an introductory deck or a Planeswalker deck, they didn't contain instructions of how to play the game. Mm. <laughs> so if you wanted to learn how to play, you'd have to ask someone who already knew how to play the game um, to teach you. Yeah. Um, it's been rectified a little bit now since you now have things like Magic Arena that's come out and they've started introducing... Uh, they've actually started including instructions in their decks again <laughs> as of last year, last few months it was. So again, to bring that accessibility back in. But yeah, it's so easy for a company to lose sight of, yes, we have our existing base, we're going to look after them, but what about new people would like to go and play this game as well? But one thing I will say, I've got real props to Magic for, their online presence at the moment is amazing. Arena is a, in my opinion, this is all my opinion, is a far better platform than the trading card game online for Pokemon. It's far easier to get into with the wild cards and that to try and craft stuff. There's no trading involved. Whereas Pokemon has a digital pack with every real life pack, which while it's fun, can be a nightmare when trying to get these expensive cards. There's no draft formats on the Pokemon one, which is a big part of, as you said, enjoyment for Magic anyway, but a big part of Magic Online. And one thing really interesting with the latest set for Magic um, is it's the first set designed with Arena in mind. 
So they were asking people what were the, some of the drawbacks of stopping them playing the game properly, being like mana screws and mana floods, as you mentioned earlier about the, the dual spells that are either a land or a spell. That's all come about from the online scene needing some way to get out of their, um, the, the problem of new players moaning about, you know, coming in and it's like, I can't play my hand because I've, you know, done my mulligans, got no cards to play and trying to find ways for the core element of the land system in the game to fix that, which I found fascinating. There's a few interesting things to touch on there. The mana flood, mana screw is always going to be part of magic. The game's been around for too long now, they can't suddenly start changing that, but it's really interesting the fact they've actually listened to the player feedback and said, okay, this is what we're going to try and do something. And Zendikar's the perfect set for them to have done it with, because Zendikar's entire thing has always been about making you think about lands, and lands matter, lands are different, lands lands can change the way you play. So that's a great way of introducing it, and I'm so glad they have done it, because actually, when they started discussing it, there were a lot of people in our play group they're a bit like mm, is that actually gonna work that seems a bit dubious but actually playing with it it makes the game more enjoyable because like you said it means that those dead hands you have okay they're not actually that dead anymore because actually you can play it for a land you can play that spell later on when that land isn't any good to you and it gives you that element of flexibility um as for arena and uh, magic online magic online's always been a bit of a odd one um it's so outdated. So, so horrifically outdated. Um, but it's functional and everyone can play Magic Online. It's great. Arena was the thing we didn't know we needed until we had it. They've always been experimenting with the Jewels of the Planeswalkers video game series that have been published for since 2012 until they finally sort of said no more. Um, and Arena is everything you wanted from those games but didn't quite get so you have the standard format you have drafts you have things like brawl you have these sealed formats and these events you couldn't actually play in paper magic as well which only work on a get on a video game essentially um and that's that wonderful bridge to get new people in as well because going back to that previous topic we we're saying where some people don't feel awkward about experimenting that new hobby or breaking into it well, you can do this from the comfort of your own home. Yeah. You have that element of privacy, as it were, to sort of say, right, this is this is a game I can play, this is something new. And it actually has a tutorial built into it as well, which is great. <laughs> um, so good old Sparky, the tutorial wizard, uh, will teach you how to play, and it's actually pretty decent. And one of the best things about that game is you don't have to put money into it if you don't want to. It's like anything, you know, you can put money into it if you want to unlock the packs quicker, but I've ground out 75 76% for the cards on there as in unlocked all of the available cards on there mm. just through playing the game you don't have to spend money on it that's which is amazing good. and that's the perfect bridge you need to get people playing the physical copy as well because now if you attend these things like pre-releases and events and you go down to your local game store and you get packs uh, you get a promo pack from your game store. They have codes in them to actually some unlock some cards on Arena as well. So you always have that nice little bridge. And it's a good way to ensure that people do still buy the physical game as well. So, yeah, spot on to, to have that. But done in the right way. As I said, Pokemon do that in general, but they've taken away all of the options of all the fun stuff. Like you mentioned, Magic's got all its different fun formats on their online platform. Pokemon literally has standard expanded uh, and theme deck tournaments but you have to get to get the cards you have to buy the packs to get online packs and then then it's luck based online as well so you've got to be trading packs for cards and it just becomes insanely expensive whereas with arena it's you either buy the packs or you get wild cards if you start getting too many of the same rares you know and it's easier to then craft and build the exact things you want to play it's interesting about the wild cards there's been a lot of controversy over it because it didn't introduce a dusting system like Hearthstone. Um, so if you're not aware of Hearthstone, you get a card, you don't want it, you can grind it up into dust, and then you spend that dust to unlock a new card. With wild cards in Arena, it's the same kind of concept. You get a wild card if you're playing the game, or you get them randomly in packs, and that can be any card you want of that rarity. It got a lot of controversy, the fact you can't just grind away the cards you don't want into wild cards. What I think people always forget to mention as well is, once you open a fourth copy of a card, you will never open that copy again. So 
any extra booster packs you have, they will never contain a fifth copy of a card you can't use. It will always be something new. That's if, pretty good. Yeah, and if you complete an entire set, they turn them into gems, which is the in-game currency, which you can use to buy more packs of a different set. Or use them for draft tickets. Or, yeah, or, or tournaments and things. Yeah. That's a really good system. That is a fantastic system so, you know, to save you constantly getting the same cards. That's really, really good. And the other thing to note with that as well, if they ban cards, they stop them being the ones you can pull in the boosters until you've unlocked everything else yeah. in that set. That is something, again, that I, I have to point out is amazing for them to do. Yeah, really cool. I like that. So, you like your magic. We know you've played Yu-Gi-Oh. Is there anything else you play? Any other tabletop games you play? Are you, are you, a, are you a board gamer like we are? Or do you, do you role play? I dabble in board games. Um, I feel like I have a healthy collection at home. I've seen your walls of stuff. <laughs> just, just for everyone's enjoyment, a Kickstarter of mine arrived earlier. Aaron's first response is, how many copies of the game have you got in that box? And I just said, one. <laughs> it looks like a retail pack. It's so big. Um, I've got two big plastic storage boxes for the board games at home. Um, some of my favourites in there. I've tried to get sort of my family into them and that. Much their reluctance. And actually, when they start playing, they realise they're a lot of fun. So, the latest example is I played Lords of Waterdeep with my brother. And he was like, ooh, D&D. Ooh, don't want to play that. Ooh, Dungeons and Dragons. Well, actually, Lords of Waterdeep has very little to do with Dungeons and Dragons, apart from names <laughs> and characters. Um... <laughs> And he started playing the game, and actually he got very, very competitive on playing it. And in the end, he actually won. Um, but, uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, but then the next thing was he wants to play it again. So actually, it's that slow introduction. Uh, Lords of Waterdeep, one of my favourites. Pandemic is a great game as well. Was got villainous at home. Love them. Um, but yeah, ball games all around. Uh, role play games as well. Sort of not so much at the moment with things going on, but. Um, yeah, I've been playing Dungeons and Dragons for a while now. I've got every copy of fifth edition book that's come out. Love it. Absolutely love it. I love the idea of tend I tend to be in that forever sort of DM forever mode. Like always <laughs> the DM, never the player. Um One of our groups found a clever way to get around that is we all did a little one shot. So we had our main campaign with our main DM, but the DM then said, Right, for a couple of weeks we're gonna do like a one evening one shot every single player has to dm one of them oh that's a great idea <clears throat> so here's a question for you is there anything on the horizon that you are looking forward to be it board game uh computer game i know you've uh, recently got into pimping up your uh, your yeah. pc yeah i'm very guilty of that and i saw the credit card bill this morning <laughs> 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 yeah i'm looking forward to cyberpunk when it comes out i went on the uh you know the can you run it website to sort of double check before it came out make sure everything was all spick and span. Then I realised my processor was far too old. So it's like, okay, start doing the research. Uh, my board's got to go as well. Cool. Well, if I'm already halfway there, why not upgrade the whole rig? Um, <laughs> yeah, definitely looking forward to Cyberpunk when that comes out in November. I'm very excited for that. And then, of course, you've got Assassin's Creed Valhalla shortly behind it as well. Um, yeah, two really good games looking forward to. No, I think that's pretty much it. They're going to occupy most of my most of my winter and Christmas. That that's going to be me. I'll be nice. uh, tied to my computer. I think. Uh, I mean, by the time this comes out, um, our our new favourite game will uh, will be out, which is uh, Star Wars Squadrons, and we're we've already realised that we are going to be playing a crazy amount of that game. Yep, Friday um, is already written off after college for me for that indeed. one. Yeah, we we've arranged a whole afternoon evening of playing that. So. Is it likely to be a game you're likely to get? Uh, I'll look into it. Nothing, nothing on the horizon, I'm not going to lie. Actually, I tell a lie, there was another game that's coming out. Well, I'd say another game. It's another expansion for Magic. You've got Commander Legends coming out end of November. Uh, so it'll be the first ever draft set they've done for Commander. So it'll be very interesting to see how that plays out. So yeah, um, thank you very much for coming on the podcast today and uh, having a chat it's been nice to actually get to know a bit more about your history as, as a gamer so it's been yeah. great thanks for having me on you know always been around i'm always at the shop should you ever want to pop in say hello yeah it's been really good fun um and again it's opened my eyes up to a lots of um bits for some of the games where I, i've learned a lot um today and you've intrigued me with a fair few bits which my bank balance is now going to cry 
<laughs> That's fine. Just give me your pen, pen number, mother's maiden name, and just look away. It'll be fine. Aaron is a very, very good salesman. Uh, although I'm not that hard to sell to, sell to really. Um, so every, pretty much every time I go in the store, money disappears from my wallet. Um, so yeah, I'm pretty sure Chris and H are very proud of you for that. <laughs> well, they are judging by their sales numbers. They are doing well. And uh, not to break, my, break myself up. I mostly stir that. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, the shop is having a complete overhaul in terms of what's going on and it's only looking up and up even with the whole pandemic situation going on it can only go up from here yeah it's been great to see um the store coming on leaps and bounds recently with all your new shelving that you've got in there the new products that are coming in there that seem to be going in and then coming straight to my house Uh (laughs) (laughs) but yeah it's been great to see the, the range has just gone absolutely through the roof. It's, it really is good and, to see. And for me, it's been nice to see you engaging with all of us, and not just me and Jason, but all the groups in general, to say, what do you want to see? And then doing your best to try and get that in the store. Yeah, as much as I'm allowed to. Yeah. I only spend so much money at once. <laughs> <laughs> but it makes a difference from our side of things. You know, it, it's nice for us to feedback and say that that is nice to know that we are taken into account and it's not just, I want to see that, so I'm going to put that in the store. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, what's the point of having a community-based store unless you can listen to what people actually want to see in it? And don't get me wrong, there's times where I'll ignore everything you say and think, nah, I'm not doing that. <laughs> but equally, there's times where I think, like, yeah, if they want to see it, I'm going to get it in here. <laughs> it's, pre- it's pretty cool to see that the um, the retro games room is getting a bit of a refit as well with the whole rock formations as well. I'm I'm really liking how that's coming along. Oh, still, still a long ways off finishing, but it will eventually be uh, fully themed out to be a we're calling it the dungeon right now it will eventually look like a historical tavern so you can get right into the right into the theming of a D game or any of rpg because let's face it every D game begins in a tavern so <laughs> indeed will i be able to go in there and order some mead no uh, <laughs> quite possibly not but i am getting steins in does that count oh Oh, that's, that's more of my money. Going to take a bit of a hit there. Okay, so I'm getting Steins in. I'm going to get a pizza oven in there at some point as well. So, you know, it's all happening. Spoilers. There you go. Spoilers, ladies and gentlemen. We finally got some information. Pizzas are coming. Do you have a, an online presence? So, yep, you can go on to thecomicshop.co.uk. Nice and simple. Um, you can email us at info at thecomicshop.co.uk or pop on down to Crawley High Street. It's number 42. Simple enough to get to. If you get stuck, look for the big red sign with the comic characters flashing all over it. <laughs> and if it's nice and sunny outside, you'll have the uh, the outdoor seating and the parasols outside. Yep, we pop it there. Order a Hulk smash milkshake and come out and enjoy it. So yeah, thank you very much for joining us uh, on today's show, Aaron. It's been a pleasure having you here and just prying you for that little bit of information. And I'm happy enough that we've got what we wanted. Yeah, it was great trying to you too. Especially outside the shop. It's nice to just sit down and chat. <laughs> Definitely. And uh, I think we're going to drag you down here again for some games. Some proper games. Uh, away from the microphones. Away from <laughs> everything else. We'll, we'll get get some games going. You might, I might even let you teach me magic. How about Ooh. that? I think yeah. I'll be fine. Like I said, £20 decks. Nice and easy. Nice, start with Commander. Commander is the best way to start. <laughs> so we're going to close this section down, guys. We're going to hand over now to our newsman who is in his brand new Woodland Lodge rather than the shed. So to go with his lodge, we introduced a pet to him. Over to you, Paul, and your rubber ducky. <laughs> rubber ducky, you're the one. You make bath time lots of fun. Rubber ducky, I'm awfully fond of you. Do 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 be do. What's that? Oh, the recording light's on. Oh, we've only just got in the bath. Yeah, I know, it's not really a bath. They've just given us a washed out wheelie bin and fed a hose through the window. You can't say that. At least they gave us a kettle of hot water to go in it. Anyway, we got to read the news. Stop splashing water over the script. Anyway, 
Renegade Game Studios is back in the limelight this week after recently announcing multiple new categories and properties for gaming as an extension to their existing partnership with Hasbro Incorporated. This will extend the partnership between the two firms to include games with the G.I. Joe, Transformers and My Little Pony brands joining Renegade's already successful Power Rangers titles so we can look forward to new role-playing and deck-building games which will be hitting shelves in 2021. Renegade Game Studios and Hasbro first partnered for Power Rangers Heroes of the Grid miniatures board game in 2018 and have so far released 11 expansions for the game since its debut. First up will be the 5th edition compatible Power Rangers role playing game and the upcoming Power Rangers deck building game which will be available to demo virtually at RenegadeCon this weekend that's October the 9th to the 11th and Renegade's Morphin Meat virtual event beginning on October the 23rd with an aim to hit gaming shelves sometime in Q2 2021. Fans will also be able to enjoy entirely new websites that Renegade will be launching this fall to support the communities for its lineup of Hasbro games. These will include organised play, achievements both in-store and at-home events being added to its current programs such as the current Power Rangers free monthly scenarios and the Morphin Mondays Twitch programs. Scott Gator, president and publisher at Renegade Game Studios, commented, Hasbro has brought so much joy to fans through these worlds filled with rich narratives and iconic characters. We are excited to expand our relationship with Hasbro to help bring these stories to hobby tabletops in a new way. Casey Collins, Senior Vice President and General Manager at Global Consumer Products at Hasbro, added, We're thrilled to expand our relationship with Renegade Game Studios to include more fan-favourite brands from our portfolio. The tabletop and role-playing games Renegade Game Studios innovated for the Power Rangers franchise has proved to authentically connect with both gamers and the Ranger Nation, and we are confident that G.I. Joe, Transformers and My Little Pony fans will love the exciting games coming soon. An advert in recent publications, namely the Mattel Supplemental Magazine and Toy World Magazine, shine a little more light on the upcoming Masters of the Universe Field of Eternia board game. In the advert, firstly, is reference and new subheading for the new He-Man series heading for Netflix entitled Masters of the Universe Revelation. Additional images have also shown up online, sneaking a peek at the artwork being used for the new animation. Game-wise, the advert boasts a November 2020 launch on Kickstarter in Europe for Fields of Eternia. Suck on that, Hero Quest. We get to bask in fabulous 80s nostalgia and journey through the mythical land of Eternia, taking command of iconic heroes and villains. You'll get to play as your favourite characters. He-Man, Skeletor, She-Ra, Hordak, Evil Lin, Man-at-Arms, Beast-Man, Teela, amongst many more. Players will have to traverse the many mountains, forests and swamplands of Eternia as they undertake quests to power up the chosen characters, encountering familiar foes and monsters along the way. You'll also get to tame wild beasts in order to ride them across the plains and into battle. Complete missions to take control of key locations throughout the land to increase your power. Each miniature in a striking power pose is crafted in stunning 32mm detail and comes with an immersive scenic base, all using state-of-the-art plastic injection moulding processes. The models will be fully plastic, no PVC here. You can also level up your gaming experience with a custom dice and the all-powerful Castle Greyskull Dice Tower. Fans of Wingspan can rejoice... Yeah, I know you are, in the fact that the latest Oceana expansion has been given a release window. Yep, our feathered friends from Australasia, Melanesia, Micronesia and Polynesia will be joining the flock at some point in November. The Oceana expansion was announced earlier this year when publisher Stonemaier Games decided to reveal the game early to run in tandem with a charity campaign to raise money for Wires, an organisation dedicated to wildlife rescue to combat a recent bout of wildfires that had spread across the Australian countryside. Since then, details of the expansion have emerged, including the fact that players will have brand new player boards. These new mats will be required if players want to experience Wingspan with the Oceana bird cards, as the different habitats have different bonuses from the player boards set in the core game. Some of these new bonuses offer players a choice as to what they wish to pay to use that habitat. For example, players can lay an egg in the grasslands by paying either a card or a food token from their pool, whilst other bonuses 
bonuses give players the chance to gain their bonus before they receive the primary benefit from the player board action. For instance, there are actions in the forest that enable players to reset the bird feeder before they take any food dose. As players fill each habitat with new birds, they'll be able to gain better bonuses from performing actions there, including the option to refresh the bird tray in the wetlands habitat. All of this means that the new player boards will feature more icons than the originals, providing a more complicated experience. The first expansion, released for the game, was last year's European expansion, which added a new set of bird cards based on, funnily enough, European bird life. Elizabeth Hargrave, the creator of Wingspan, will be taking part in the Steam Digital Tabletop Festival happening from October 21st to 26th, following the recent release of the game's digital version, which I'm happy to say I was a part of in its beta testing. Elizabeth is set to be joined by Steve Jackson and Ian Livingstone of fighting fantasy choose-your-own-adventure books, Call of Cthulhu designer Sandy Peterson, and Dicebreaker's very own Michael Wheels Whelan. And we're over to Kickstarter now, and October the 8th sees a game called Ambush Epic released. It's a semi-cooperative board game for 1-4 to four players. It takes about 90-120 to 120 minutes to play. You'll lead your hero or form part of a party and head into the creepiest and darkest nook of a dungeon. Battle not only the darkness, but the stress and gloomy fluids emanating from its walls. Everything in this dungeon will push our courageous heroes to their limits. The threat is not only from the evil forces, but also from each other. Balance your competitive and your cooperative skills. Get stronger, but don't forget to give a hand when it's needed in order to obtain the greatest glory and the biggest loot. Will the villagers write ballads about your feet? Only the best strategy will reap the most glory. October 13th sees a game called Shadow Network. It's 1916, the Cold War is upon us. In the dark shadows, agencies are gathering intelligence on financial institutions, political figures, military installations and top secret technology advancements. However, where one agency thinks that they have exclusive access to intel, leaks within the network cause information to spill around the world quickly. Who will have built the best Shadow Network? Shadow Network is a worker placement style game where players are deploying their agents around the globe collecting fragments of intelligence. These fragments are then promoted to an actionable state to be used against the high profile targets and earn players influence, the in-game currency. As the players gather intel from a city, intel is also leaked to other cities, therefore potentially helping other agencies. Additional agents can be deployed, but at a cost, Furthermore, handlers can assist with exchanging intel, thereby giving the agency the leg up. At the end of four rounds of play, agencies will bribe their high-profile targets for more influence. In the end, the player with the most influence is the winner. And that's Shadow Network for one to five players, taking about 45 to 120 minutes. On October the 15th, we have Alien Puppies, a game for two to five players and takes about 15 to 30 minutes. Alien Puppies is a strategic sci-fi card game adventure with fabulous cyberpunk puppies. Players take turns drawing from the shuffle deck and collect alien puppies and other cards. Each turn you can choose to put one alien puppy into your backyard, the space in front of you. The first person to put three alien puppies in the backyard wins, but... You will have to be careful as there's a dangerous Barkmageddon card looming in the draw pile. If you draw it, you lose, unless you can protect yourself with a unique combination of cards. Alien Puppies Adventure features a unique set of characters with mind-bending powers that will have to be activated by players to become the ultimate champions of the puppy universe. And we're rolling into gaming events now, and the weekly groups are still running in Crawley and Lewis. Wednesdays is our very own Crawley Gaming Club, and Pound Hill Gamers with Gaming at the Comic Shop, 42 High Street, Crawley, RH10, 1BW. £3 ahead, with refreshments available on site. Thursdays is Trinity Gaming Cafe and Lewis Board Games Club, between 7.30 and 11.30 at Trinity Church, Arbinger Place, Lewis, BN7. 2QA. Again, £3 ahead with refreshments available on site. 
Mid-Sussex peoples are all set for Saturday the 17th of October down in Burgess Hill for a whole day of gaming running from 9.45 until 6pm at Cypress Hall, Cypress Road, Burgess Hill, RH158DX. Entry is £5 per person with tea, coffee and biscuits included. I've also just had another batch of face shields just come in and they'll be available to purchase at £2.50 each. Unfortunately, Abby had to cancel the Surrey Ball Gaming Group in Rygate this Sunday just gone, but is looking at a smaller premises to host her event in December and would like to know who's interested and those who are to send her a message on the group's Facebook page. Hopefully it's one eye. Sorry, we can plan an escape for. Also worth a mention is the Dice Saloon in Brighton has just reopened its doors at its new premises after relocating from their now demolished former location. You can now find them in their swanky new gaff at 88 London Road, Brighton, BN1 4JF. There's a few measures in place for your visit. Only three customers at a time are allowed in store. Masks are a must and they are only accepting card payments for the time being. Well, that's it from the shed for another week. It's goodbye from him. And it's goodbye from me. bye bye Thanks very much for that, Paul. Great to hear the news. And uh, I've got to say I'm really, really excited by the, uh, the Renegade announcements there. Anyway, we're closing this off now, guys. If you have enjoyed what you've heard today, please do give us a review on whatever podcast platform it is you're on. Like, share, subscribe, all that fun goodness. You can contact us on any of the social media sites, Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter by searching for the podcast recorded gaming community. You can also find us on our Discord, which the links to that will be on all of our social medias. Just have a quick look in the descriptions. If you do wish to contact us by email, you can do so at community at gmail.com. Short of that, thanks very much for joining us. Thank you again to Aaron for joining us and coming onto the show. And we will see you all next week. Have a great one, game safe, bye bye.